could argue compared to other livestock, cattle are pretty simple to feed. Get them grazing during the growing season, feed them bales in the winter. You don't usually need to mess around with things like grain or chop. This relatively simple feeding system begins to fall apart when you get hit by a drought and forage isn't growing in your pasture the way you need it to and the price of hay goes through the roof. During a dry year, you might want to look into alternatives to hay that can help your cattle get the baseline nutrition they need and get you and your ranch through the year. I'm Derek Leahy, and in this episode of Rural Roots to Climate Solutions, we're discussing feed alternatives. Welcome back to the Rural Roots to Climate Solutions podcast, Getting Through Drought series where we're exploring the best management practices that cow-calf producers in Alberta can put into action during or before a drought. The series covers topics such as grazing management, effects on soil conditions, moisture retention, animal stress reduction, and feed additives. Now, Each episode unpacks a BMP with an agriculture producer, researcher, or industry expert. And in this episode, our industry expert is Barry Uremcio of Uremcio Ag Consulting Limited in Stettler, which is just out in East Central Alberta. Stettler is actually the home base of Rural Roots to Climate Solutions, so it's nice for us to have somebody from Stettler on the podcast again. My name is Barry Uremcio. I live in Stettler, Alberta. My wife and I run an independent nutrition consulting business for beef, cattle, and sheep. We've been at this for about two and a half years. I grew up on a farm in central, north central Alberta, mixed livestock and grain operation. Went to university at the University of Alberta and graduated in 1984 with a Bachelor of Science in Agriculture. In 2009, completed a master's degree in animal nutrition project was working on how much feed waste occurs when you're using a bale processor to feed cows. And your MCO Ag Consulting Limited does individual one-on-one consulting with producers, either on farm or over the internet and, and using uh, emails to balance rations and develop programs for farmers to feed their cattle over winter. What brought you to Statler? I took a job in 2003 with Alberta Agriculture as the beef and forage specialist at the Ag Info Center. And that lasted for 18 years until they shut down the Ag Info Center in March of 2020. Oh, at, that point, at that point, we decided might as well keep on doing what we know. And therefore, we started up our nutrition consulting business. I thought a good starting point for our interview would be a quick refresher course on the things cattle can eat before we jump into the subject of feed additives during a drought. There's seven different types of feed that cattle can consume. You can go to hay, you can go to silage, straw, grain. They also need salt, minerals, and vitamins. And these, these feedstuffs need to supply protein, energy, the macro and micro trace minerals and vitamins and salt in, in the ration in proportions that meet the requirements. I figured while we're at it, we could go over some of the things you just don't want your cattle eating. There's either native or invasive species that grow in ditches, in fields, along creeks, or in sloughs that can be poisonous. Water hemlock being one, there's different types of knapweed that are also considered to be problems. The other things that 
cattle really like to eat is fertilizer. So if you've spread fertilizer on a pasture or if you were loading up a seed drill and there's a pile laying in the yard or someplace where the cattle can get at it, they'll consume that very, very rapidly. And as little as a half a pound or 250 grams is enough to kill a cow, depending on what type of fertilizer it is. The other one that always seems to pop up every once in a while, especially after some producers take on new lease land or new pasture land, they might the cows might find a old junk pile or old vehicles out in the pasture with the batteries being exposed. The lead cell batteries are are something that the cows like to eat. They'll lick out the fluid from inside the battery if it's split and they can run into problems with lead poisoning. Different years present different problems. The last couple of years that were very dry, sloughs tend to dry out and the cows are accessing areas where they typically were not able to graze and that's where you might find something like water hemlock. So when they get into the drier seasons or drier areas, you can expect to see more problems with weeds causing uh, either cattle to become sick or, or killing animals. I had no idea that cattle like eating fertilizer or licking lead acid batteries. At this point in the interview, I asked Barry for some of his top recommendations for feed alternatives to hay. When you're looking at alternate feeds when you're short of hay, there's a number of different ways to get around it. One that is fairly common with feeding pregnant cows is a straw grain ration, be it barley, oat, wheat, straw. Even canola straw works well as an option. The concern that we have with the straw grain ration is your limitation is you need to supply enough protein to maintain rumen function so they don't become impacted because of low protein content or high neutral detergent fiber. And also, if you're feeding large amounts of grain, that 10, 12, 14 pounds a day range in some situations, probably better to feed the grain twice a day, once in the morning and once in the afternoon, so there's less chance of acidosis and grain overload. Alfalfa pellets, hay cubes are also options that are out there. The only problem is most times those products are reasonably expensive. So watch the cost for what you're getting. And you can do combinations. You can do, you know, alfalfa pellets in along with some straw and some grain. Same with the hay cubes. The big thing is you need to match the nutrient requirements of the animal with the feeds that you're supplying. So for example, a cow in mid-pregnancy, late pregnancy, or after calving requires 7, 9, and 11% protein and a total digestible nutrient or TDN value of 55, 60, and 65%. As you get further into pregnancy or, or after calving, the amount of straw that you can put, in, put into that rations to actually match the requirements go down. So your the biggest opportunity is when cows are in mid-pregnancy, when they come off pasture, that's when you want to use the straw grain ration. Save your better quality feeds when they get further into pregnancy or after calving. So based on what Barry just said there, if you're in a drought and you're running low on forage or hay, 
you're probably going to want to look into supplementing your cattle's feed with a straw grain ration first. Alfalfa pellets or hay cubes are also options, but like Barry said, they tend to be more expensive. Next, I asked Barry what are some of the things a cow-calf producer needs to consider before they go out there and buy feed alternatives. There's three cornerstones to this problem. One is how big are the bales? You you may estimate the weight to be 1,500 pounds, but load some bales, put them across the scale, and find out what your average weight is so you know what you have for feed available. Second thing is test that feed. Just because it's average values or you think it's good quality feed, it may not be, even though it's green and smells nice, that does not mean that it's good quality. And for dry years, you'll find that the quality of the forages go down much more rapidly than you would in a normal year. You can see that proteins and energy values start to decline three to three and a half, maybe four weeks faster than in a normal year. So waiting till middle of July, just so you get that extra amount of forage, all you're doing is, yes, you may get that extra forage, but the quality goes down and it's going to create more problems for you to balance the ration. Third thing you have to do is know the, know the weight of your cows. Because if you don't know the weight of the cows, you don't know how much they're going to eat. So that's the three things that you need to do right off the start. Once you figure those three items, then you can determine how much feed is available, how long it will last, how do you build the program so that they are properly balanced and you get the nutrients to them so that you don't have them getting thin. Watch the cow condition. A cow that is 200 pounds light going into winter does not have the fat which provides insulation. That animal will need an extra 1,400 pounds of hay just to stay warm compared to a cow that's in good condition. I guess the only thing that you can do with the situation is if you find that you are short of feed, take out the paper and pencil, walk the herd. If you've got any open cows, they're the first ones to go. If you've got old cows that are starting to have feet and leg problems or the udders are not working right, or even a cranky old cow that's just giving you troubles, those are probably the ones that you want to cull first so that you can match the amount of feed to the number of animals you have. Keep the young productive stock because you're building for the future. It's not in your best interest to sell the young stock just because you have some old favorites. Keep the ones that are highly productive, the ones that are producing a good-sized calf, uh, and don't create any problems for you. There's that importance of culling again, or what rancher Sean McGrath in the first installment of the Getting Through Drought series called the hit list. I'm actually starting to think that maybe doing an episode on how to call well and strategically might be a good idea for this series. Now, just in case we don't get around to it, here's some useful info from Barry on culling. Oh, and that, that episode with Sean McGrath of Round Rock Ranching is episode 52. It's about drought planning. Some of the work that was uh, done with the cow-calf management survey in the late 90s, early 2000s, what they found was if you can go ahead and eliminate the 10% of the poorest cows that you have in the herd, you increase your profitability by 25%. Just because they throw better calves, uh, less problems, less labor to 
you know, keep the calves going and, and uh, working with them. So, yeah, it hurts off the start to get the old, old animals out, but in the long run, it is a good thing. The other thing that comes along with this is the livestock income deferral program that the federal government puts out, where if you sell either 15 or 30% of your cows, there's a percentage of that income that you can defer for two years and not have to pay income tax on the income as long as you buy back animals within that two-year period of time. So Interesting. tax implications, they're still there, but it's not as hard as taking a full hit on that income of that year. One thing that usually does happen in this situation is when you're in a dry year when everybody's selling off cows or selling stock just to meet feed, feed availability is the cull cow price tends to drop. In two years' time, if the weather conditions improve and you can buy back some replacement heifers or bred cows and things that are picking up, unfortunately, that's when the price tends to increase. So you're selling at a low and buying back at a high. So cash flow is, is a consideration in that one as well. Next up, Barry explains how to go about determining what rations to feed and how much of them to feed out. As a nutritionist, I have a few rules of thumb that I use to help me balance the ration. For example, a cow will only eat one and a quarter to one and a half of her body weight in straw per day. That's the physical limitation. The second way I look at it is forages are made up of acid detergent fiber and neutral detergent fiber. Acid detergent fiber is what the labs use to determine energy content of the forage along with a few other nutrients. There's a mathematical formula where they use the fiber content and a few other things to determine the energy content. Neutral detergent fiber is harder to digest and that's what limits feed intake. So what I look for is a maximum of 1.2% of body weight of neutral detergent fiber intake. If you get beyond that or higher than that, your NDF takes longer to digest. It mean it stays in the rumen longer than it would, uh, say your grains or your acid detergent fiber, more soluble products of, of digestion. That reduces the amount of feed that animal can consume uh, tomorrow or the day after. So at, at some point in time, you know, you could have five or six or seven pounds of neutral detergent fiber sitting in the backside of the rumen, so to speak, mm -hmm. taking up space so they can't eat as much. And when that happens, you reduce total feed intake, which reduces energy and protein consumption, which just compounds that whole problem. Because if you don't have enough protein, your bacteria and microorganisms in the rumen that digest the fiber and digest the feeds those populations go down, and if you can't maintain that critical mass of, back, of microbes, then your digestion rates go down, and that, again, reduces the amount of feed that they can, in, can take in. If you're below 7% protein in a ration for a mature animal, that's about the point where you start seeing impaction coming into play, and that's, that's my bottom number. That's where I like to keep my minimum protein content. So there's a number of things that come into play on this, but the one tool that I use is a program called Cowbites. It first was brought out by Albert Agriculture in 1994. There's been five revisions since that point in time, and it's a ration balancing program 
where you put in the animal type, your feed test results, you build the rations, balance the rations. And at the end, when you're all done, it'll tell you what feed inventory you're going to need if you have to make a supplement or what supplements to use or what vitamins and minerals to use. You can put that into the program and balance the ration. Hey, that program sounds really handy. I didn't know about that. It's something that is very useful and very helpful, but unfortunately, the Department of Agriculture in Alberta has decided that they're no longer going to supply or sell the program anymore. And there's negotiations with Beef Cattle Research Council to see if they're going to take it over and have it available to producers again. That is unfortunate. That's too bad. With any livestock operation, the eye of the owner is probably the biggest help that you can have to see if your rations are working or not. Are the cows getting skinny? Are they getting fat? Are the calves growing well or not? And in this situation, what I'm recommending a lot of times is invite the neighbor over once a month or once every six weeks, have a cup of coffee and a piece of pie with them, and then go out and look over the animals. Because if you look at the animals every day, you don't see the gradual changes that are occurring because of the feeding program. Having that second set of eyes come in and have and look at the animals every once in a while, they can, they can see, are they getting skinny? Are they gaining weight? You know, are they looking good? And having that second set of eyes is really important. If you want to do a more defined method of watching the condition of your cows. When a cow is coming into winter with a heavy hair coat, it needs to drop between 200 and 250 pounds before the change is visible to the eye. The tool that I like to use is what they call body condition scoring, where you run a cow into the squeeze, feel for the short ribs, the tail head, the pin bones. On the right-hand side of the animal, when you're looking at it from the back, and the sharpness of the short ribs and the sharpness of the pin bones and tail head, as the animal loses weight, those bones become more prominent and more visible, but also very sharp to the touch. So when you start feeling that these bones are getting more prominent and there's less tissue between the short ribs, especially, and there's bigger indentations, that's an indication that the cow is getting skinny. If you run your hand or you run your thumb over the short ribs, and you're pressing with the thumb to try to see where those ribs are and if, if you can feel the, the bone itself. If you have to really push, that's telling you that the animal is gaining weight. And you'll also see it around the tail head where they could have uh, pads of fat as well. So watching the animal is probably the most important thing. You can't just rely on a computer program or what you read off a piece of paper. This part in our conversation, Barry adds a couple other things you might want to be mindful of when you're feeding out feed alternatives. A couple examples that come to mind right off the start is uh, kosha. It's a wheat. You can cut it for forage and cows will eat it. But your limitation there is no more than 20% of the total dry matter intake can be for it can be kosha. The reasons for that are one, it accumulates oxalates. And oxalates are a compound that ties up calcium that's available from the diet. So basically, you're getting a calcium deficiency, even though it may show up as 
suitable in rations. The other thing it does is it can accumulate nitrates and typically kosher also has high salt content. With, with the higher salt content in the kosher, if you're putting out mineral and salt free choice on pasture or winter feeding, with that high salt content, the animals are less likely to take any mineral or salt free choice or limited amounts anyway. The other one that comes to mind as well is some people try using uh, flax straw. And unfortunately, green flax straw can contain prussic acid, which is hydrogen cyanide. Seeing how you have the cyanide word in there, uh, it doesn't take long for animals to be poisoned by, by prussic acid as well. The other thing you have to watch out for in dry years is water quality. If you're watering out of dugouts and in the dry in the hot conditions, you can get an algae bloom forming on the dugouts, and blue-green algae uh, can form. Generally, it's noticeable with a slimy layer on the top of the water. It might smell bad. The surface can be black. The blue-green algae is a cyanobacteria, which also produces cyanide. And I've seen cows either front two feet in the water and dead, or maybe 10, 15 feet away. So very fast-acting poison as well. As the interview went on, another feed alternative that didn't come up in the beginning was flushed out. That feed alternative is canola surprising, or at least surprising to me. But there's a word of caution when it comes to feeding out canola. Here's Barry to explain that one. The other crop that farmers use as a forage is salvage canola crops. Something that was blasted off during the heat, it's not going to produce any seed. And uh, so they're cutting it at the uh, full bloom to potting stage when they know they're not going to get a crop out of it. It's a good feed, very high quality. It can, at the late bloom, early pod stage, it can rival a good quality alfalfa grass hay. The only oh. problem is canola crops are typically fertilized fairly heavily with sulfur. And if you get a high sulfur content in the plant, you could potentially get polio. Now, there's two schools of thought here with feedlot animals on a high grain ration, 0.4% sulfur is considered to be the upper limit on high forage diets. Uh, there are some people that are comfortable going up to 0.55% sulfur. But what happens with the ex when the sulfur gets into the rumen, it uh, is released from the platform, forms hydrogen sulfide. The hydrogen sulfide goes through the rumen wall into the lungs, and hydrogen sulfide ties up the hemoglobin so it cannot transport oxygen to the tissues or release the carbon dioxide in the lungs. And with the high metabolic activity tissues such as the brain, what happens is the lack of oxygen available for the brain causes polio. Every plant has a possibility to be used, but there's always limitations as to how much you can use. Getting a very strong sense of everything in moderation when it comes to this. You're exactly right. You know, moderation is the right word. A reasonable amount is good. More is not necessarily better. Mm. And that's where your feed test results come in. That's where your ration balancing comes in. And if you don't have the program or if you're needing help from that, 
talk to your feed mill nutritionist or your salesman. There's private consultants out there that can do this work. In different provinces other than Alberta, they still have government uh, employees that are able to help with balancing rations if need be. So there's resources out there to help you through this. It's something you don't have to worry about and do it all by yourself. Up next, Barry throws out a few more ideas for your drought planning based on his decades of experience out in the field. The two things that tend to really help when your forages are going down in quality and supplies are dwindling is rotational grazing. You give the plants a 30 to 40 day rest, let them recuperate and start growing again. That increases the total amount of forage that will be produced over the year. Second thing that really helps is start creeping the calves the first, as soon as you put the cattle out onto pasture. You know, the young calves at 250, 300 pounds, they'll only eat a pound or a pound and a half a day of, of a grain mixture. One thing you can build at home is one-third peas, one-third oats, one-third barley, or if you're using lentils or faba beans, uh, your ratios change a little bit, but you can build something for with the feeds that you have on farm and give it to the calves. By the time August comes around and the pastures are going down, those calves will be eating four and five pounds a day of a grain mix. At the end of the year, I'm going back to 2002 where I first saw this, the uh, fellows that did have a creep feeder, one pasture with, one without, they saw 100 to 150 pounds difference in weaning weight of those calves. Plus, the cows were in better condition coming off pasture from the areas with the creep feeder because the calves weren't as forceful in trying to get milk. You know, one, one other thing that people tried to do, if the producer saw that the grass was not coming back as well as he had expected, he just extended the number of days between grazings. And the other thing is, try to leave 50% of the plant material behind. You don't want to graze the pasture down to where it looks like a pool table. Mm. Leave some of those leaves there so that they've got solar panels to generate new growth. Last but certainly not least, Barry's words of advice if you're a cow-calf producer listening to this right now and you find yourself in a drought. Develop an action plan. You know, look at what you're producing. Some people that are planting silages, they're putting in a bushel or a bushel and a half of winter, winter wheat, fall rye, or triticale, winter triticale in along with the barley silage cropland. They take the silage off in August. They let the plants regrow into September, and they get some very high-quality forages for the cows to graze going into September and October. The other thing that you have to consider is no action is an action, but typically does not turn out very well. If you are concerned that you're starting to see problems, do something about it before it becomes a really, really big problem. The other side of the coin, watch out for your neighbors. When you get into a stressful situation like this and they don't have any feed or they've got limited feed supplies and they don't know what to do, this really plays on the mind. There's a lot of mental anguish when you're running out of feed or you can't feed your cows and they're going down in condition. So, you know, talk to them and if you see something isn't quite right, you know, be a good neighbor and, and go talk to them to see that they're in the right state of mind. And if they aren't, you know, see if there's some way that you can talk to 
a government agency of some kind and see if you can get some help or you would talk to relatives of this person and see if they know how to approach this so that the gentleman can get the help they, they need. Mental stress is, is one of the biggest problems in these dry years. We hope you enjoyed our fourth installment of the Getting Through Drought series. We should have a couple more episodes from this series ready for you before we shut things down for Christmas. In the meantime, you might want to listen to episode 51, Cover Crops, or episode 34, Intercropping, as they might give you some ideas for alternatives to hay. Rural Roots to Climate Solutions is an Alberta-based initiative empowering agriculture producers and the communities they live in with climate solutions. Rural Roots runs workshops, farm field days, webinars, and the Regenerative Agriculture Lab, produces a farmer's blog, works with rural communities to develop their own renewable energy projects, and of course, we do this podcast. For more information about us and what we do, go to the website, which is www.rr2cs.ca. The rest of the amazing and talented Rural Roots to Climate Solutions team is Marie Galanka, Shiana Younger, and Kristen Mountain. The podcast is funded by a variety of Alberta-based funders, and the Getting Through Drought series is largely funded by Results Driven Agriculture Research, or RDAR. My parts of the podcast were recorded in Calgary, so that means they were recorded on Treaty 7 lands and in the Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. Happy farming wherever you are in Alberta. And remember, what's good for the climate is good for the farm.